1: This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Dana Sue Gray? Dana Sue Gray was born in Pasadena, California, on December 6, 1957. Her father, Russell, was a hairdresser. Her mother, Beverly, was a former beauty queen who worked as a model. Dana's parents had a strained relationship. Beverly was a poor manager of money. She would buy expensive items using Russell's credit cards, eventually reaching the credit limit. On one occasion, Beverly attacked an older woman Russell witnessed this attack and decided that the marriage was over. When Dana was two years old, her parents divorced. Over the next several years, Dana did not see her father too often. She routinely declined to visit him. Dana had a number of behavioral problems growing up. She did not get along well with her mother, stepbrothers, her classmates, and many other people. A few examples, Dana would steal money from her mother She once cut a hole in her mother's favorite dress with a pair of scissors. Dana would urinate on the beds of her half-brothers. Dana performed poorly in school. She would often skip school and forge notes to explain her absence. Dana constructed a catapult along with one of her neighbors and launched neighborhood cats into a swimming pool. I guess her motto was, you can't spell catapult without cat. Beverly made several efforts to discipline Dana, but was unable to get her behavior under control. Dana became sexually active at the age of 12. She had a substantial number of encounters, one after the other. When Dana was 14, Beverly was diagnosed with breast cancer. Dana was impressed by how compassionate the nurses were toward her mother when her mother was in the hospital. She decided that she wanted to become a nurse someday. Beverly died in 1973. Dana moved in with her father, By this time, he had remarried. Her father's wife found marijuana in Dana's room and kicked her out of the residence. Dana moved in with her boyfriend, who was also her skydiving instructor. Dana became pregnant twice while she was with this boyfriend, but terminated both pregnancies. Dana graduated from high school in 1976 and enrolled at Saddleback College. She studied nursing and paid for her education by working as a waitress. Dana was not only disconnected from her father, but her relationship with her half-brothers broke down as well when they argued about an inheritance from a relative who had died. Dana's family believed that she was greedy and did not have a conscience. Dana graduated from college in 1981 and quickly found a job as a nurse at Corona Community Hospital. Not long after this, she left that job for a better-paying position at Inland Valley Regional Medical Center. In 1987, Dana married a man named Tom Gray, who had known her since high school. The couple bought a house in Canyon Lake, California. Dana developed an interest in athletic activities. For example, she would ride a mountain bike, windsurf, and skydive. Dana and Tom started several businesses and made a good deal of money, but it was not enough to keep up with Dana's spending habits. By the time the couple was married for nine months, they had already taken out $67,000 in loans. Dana's behavior destroyed the couple financially, which brought down her mood. In addition, she had a miscarriage. She started drinking excessive quantities of alcohol, as well as using cocaine and marijuana. Dana had an affair with a musician who was in a band with her husband, Tom. She moved out of the house and in with the affair partner. Dana was having a lot of trouble regulating her mood. She was easily provoked and would often become emotional she started seeing a mental health clinician for these symptoms in March 1992. Dana and Tom declared bankruptcy in September of 1993. In November 1993, Dana was fired from her job as a nurse for stealing a number of medications, including Demerol. On February 14, 1994, Dana contacted Tom's parents and said that she wanted to meet with Tom. She would have contacted Tom directly, but he kept his phone number and address a secret from her which was a wise decision. Tom's parents gave him the message, and he agreed to meet with Dana, but then he decided not to show up. Later, it was discovered that Dana had taken out an insurance policy on Tom without his knowledge. It sounds like Dana may have had a Valentine's Day present for Tom, something less like a heart-shaped box of chocolates and more like homicide. It appears as though Tom may have dodged a bullet. That same day, February fourteen. Dana allegedly visited the condominium of an 86-year-old woman named Norma Davis. She lived in Canyon Lake. Norma was the mother-in-law of a woman who married Dana's father in 1988. This is how Dana knew her. Dana allegedly murdered Norma using a phone cord and two knives. After this, she took her credit cards. Two days later, a neighbor discovered Norma's body. The police investigated. They found there was no forced entry. They found a footprint in the entryway, some blood on a chair, and a broken phone cord. On February 28, Dana visited a 66-year-old woman named June Roberts, saying that she wanted to borrow a book. Like Norma Davis, June Roberts also lived in Canyon Lake. Dana had her boyfriend's five-year-old son with her. She had him wait in her Cadillac when she visited June. Dana ripped the phone cord out of the wall and strangled June with it, before striking her in the head with a bottle, Dana picked up June's wallet and left the residence. She didn't steal any other property. She then went on a spending spree. Her boyfriend's son was still with her. Dana used June's credit card to order an expensive meal at an upscale cafe. She visited a salon where she had her hair done and her eyebrows waxed. She went to a shopping mall and bought a black suede jacket, several pairs of cowboy boots and a pair of diamond earrings. After this, she purchased some alcohol and a gift for her boyfriend's son. It was a toy police helicopter. The next day, Dana drove to a resort and purchased a massage before going on another shopping spree.
0: Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the US like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
1: On March 10, 1994, Dana stopped by an antique store in Lake Elsinore, California. A 58-year-old woman named Dorinda Hawkins was working there as a cashier. Dana attempted to strangle her to death with a yellow nylon rope, but she failed to kill her. Dana removed some cash from Dorinda's purse and $25 from the cash register before leaving the shop. Dorinda contacted the authorities after waking up about 40 minutes later and provided them with a description of her attacker. Dana initiated another shopping spree about an hour later, still using the credit cards from June Roberts. On March 16, Dana visited the residence of an 87-year-old woman named Dora Beebe. Dora lived in Canyon Lake but Dana had never met her. Dana knocked on Dora's front door and claimed that she needed directions. Dora agreed to let Dana in the house to look at a map. Dana strangled Dora with a telephone cord and hit her in the head with an iron. Within an hour of the homicide, Dana went on a shopping spree at a nearby mall. The police were able to identify Dana as a suspect due to the descriptions provided by store employees, including Dorinda Hawkins. They figured out who Dana was just a few hours after Dana murdered Dora. They arrested Dana at her residence, where they found many of the items she had purchased. Dana claimed that she found the credit cards and felt an overwhelming need to shop. Instead of being diagnosed with something like sudden credit card discovery-induced shopping disorder, Dana was charged with murder. She eventually pleaded guilty to murdering and robbing two victims and to one attempted murder. On October 16, 1998, she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. She was never convicted for killing Norma Davis. However, the police believe that she was responsible for that murder. Now moving to my analysis. Let's take a look at the potential personality profile for Dana Sue Gray. Dana appeared to be mid-range in openness to experience, low in conscientiousness. She was impulsive and irresponsible, high in extroversion, She was excitement-seeking. For example, she was very active in high-risk, physically demanding outdoor activities, like skydiving. Dana had low agreeableness, and she had high neuroticism. She had a number of negative emotions and could not resist temptation. A mental health clinician diagnosed Dana with borderline personality disorder. This is an interesting theory. Clearly, the clinician had access to more information about Dana than was made public, but based on what's available, it's not clear how Dana's behavior fits with borderline. Typically, people with this disorder have more active symptoms when they are in a romantic relationship. One could argue that these relationships activate many of the borderline personality traits, like the love-hate cycle, the fear of rejection, and the pronounced anger. Dana's behavior does not appear to be driven by any mechanism attached to her romantic relationships it doesn't really seem like borderline personality behavior. Rather, her profile appears to be more based on a few traits from each of the Cluster B personality disorders. For example, from antisocial, she exhibited criminal behavior and deceptiveness. From narcissistic, she was self-centered, arrogant, condescending, and had a sense of entitlement. From borderline, there was affective instability and a weak sense of identity. And from histrionic, She had a desire to be the center of attention. I think that her behavior is probably more antisocial and narcissistic than borderline or histrionic. This would better explain her homicidal behavior, lack of empathy, and sadism. Her levels of narcissism and psychopathy were so high that she was capable of being cold, callous, and remorseless. Dana complained that she had feelings of depression, which she experienced several times in her life. I think what happened in this case is that she used drugs and shopping to treat her depressive symptoms. These activities also helped satisfy her desire for excitement. She reached a point where she no longer had money. Her destructive behavior had caused her to lose everything. She became increasingly desperate to experience pleasure, to feel the thrill of substances and buying items at the store. She went on a killing spree, which allowed her to go on a shopping spree. I don't think that Dana was acting erratically. I think she carefully planned her crimes. She was only caught because she used the victim's credit cards and attacked the woman in the antique store. The police had no physical evidence connecting Dana to any of the murders, except her shoe size was consistent with the footprint left at the residence of Norma Davis. Dana managed to brutally murder victims and not leave her DNA at the crime scene. She didn't have blood in her vehicle, in her residence, or on her person, she wasn't caught with any murder weapons. If Dana was not arrested, she probably would have continued killing. Some people have theorized that Dana's motive has something to do with her mother, but I really don't think that the relationship was a primary driver of her behavior. I think Dana learned a lot from her mother, most of which was destructive, like vanity, shallowness, and promiscuity, but I don't think that Dana envisioned herself killing her mother when she was killing her victims. Her mother was only in her 50s when she died. Elderly victims would not remind Dana of her mother. Again, I think Dana's crimes can be explained through her desire to use drugs and shop. Running under the assumption that Dana killed all three victims, she would qualify as a serial killer regardless of which definition is used. Dana was very unusual for a female serial killer. Often, when we think of female serial killers, we envision somebody using poison, a firearm, maybe a knife, but not strangling victims with a cord or a rope. Dana's crimes were very physical. She expended a lot of energy. She was in close proximity. She watched her victims die. This was not killing from a distance in some manner that would disguise the viciousness. Dana was fixated on the end goal of recapturing her life of unregulated purchasing. A shopaholic serial killer does not sound as dangerous as male killers motivated by sexual domination. Dana proved to be every bit as lethal as her male counterparts. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis.
0: Anatomy of an ad